It's been a fun, uh, fun series so far for us as a church family to, to be in and be working through. Excited about what God is doing in and among us as a family. Uh, in the past weeks, we've been talking about the importance of engaging Scripture and God's Word, growing in it, living it out, putting it to practice in our lives, and uh, we're going to continue that on today. Uh, we're going to be revisiting a couple of Scriptures that we've looked at in the past, just kind of in passing. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open to James chapter 1, but put a marker over in Matthew chapter number 4. That's where we're going to, uh, our two main verses today that I'd like for you to turn to. Um, how many of you know God's Word is powerful? It's a real deal, isn't it? It's the real deal, isn't it? It's a whole lot better and a whole lot faster, you know, if, if you stay with me, right? Otherwise, I feel like I need to say it 17 times to make sure we're all on the same page. So let's, let's get it all the first time. So God's word is powerful and effective, right? Amen. Amen. You know, we looked at Hebrews chapter 4, verse, uh, verse number 12, and it'll be on the screens out of the Amplified, but it says, For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. Amen. That summarizes how full of power it is, right? It's sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, our soul, and the immortal spirit, and of joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing, judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. God's word is powerful. It is alive, it is active, it is working inside of us, and we need to allow it to work inside of us. Now, how many of you know we love the promises of Scripture, amen? I love God's Word. I love the Scriptures, the, the promises that are found. One of my favorites is, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. No, no weapon formed. That's what Isaiah said, right? Isaiah 54, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. In other words, it doesn't matter what the devil throws at me. How many of you have had the devil throw some things at you? No weapon. It's great to know the promises of God. It's great to cling to the scripture. It's great to do that. The problem for most of us isn't that we have promises that we love. It's that we too often don't know what to do when the weapons of the enemy are trained against us. We know that we don't like it. But beyond that, imploring the scriptures into our lives, seeing them put in practice, it's a little fuzzy for most of us, let's be honest. We really want to live the, the overcoming life that the Bible says we can have, but sometimes getting, uh, making that step between uh, what we want and, and what we believe the Bible says can be a little bit tricky, and sometimes uh, we fail in that area. Let's just be honest. So today we're going to look at uh, three ways that God's Word is powerful in us. Now, normally all of my... Uh, all of my points, they start with the same letter. Um, but today, since we're talking about the, how the Bible applies to us, they all end with us, okay? Because we're all in this together, amen? amen? So today, we're going to talk about how, first of all, God's Word saves us. It saves us. I I'm glad that God's Word is able to save. I'm glad that His reach is not too, too narrow. In James 21, 21, last week we talked about this. In James chapter 1, verse 21, it says, So get rid of all of the filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. God's word is powerful, amen? Now, I'm going to say that probably a hundred times today, because I want it to register deep. God's word is powerful. 
It's not weak. It's not wimpy. It's, it's not flimsy. It's not flexible. God's word is powerful. Now, God's word is so powerful that it can save us. It can divide down to our soul. It can divide our feelings from the spirit. But it all begins at salvation when it saves us, it redeems us, it pulls us out. That's the work of Jesus. His word has the power to save. Now, I know some of you are thinking, wait, 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 wait. What are you saying, preacher? I thought we were saved by grace through faith. That's true, but where did we get that faith to begin with? How could we have gotten saved if we didn't get down right to it? But what is, but, but, but we've got to have faith, right? Faith in what? If faith saves us, I'm with you. Well, Romans 10, 13 and 14 kind of sums that up in verse 13. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Calls on the name of the Lord. Call, there's, there's a problem with that, right? Because you can't call on what you haven't heard. Verse 14 continues and says, but how can they call on, the one, on him that they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? There's, there's, there's part of this we've got to do, right? We've got to put it into practice in this passage. The hymn in the passage is Jesus. Jesus saves, amen? The heard about him part, what they, how can they believe if they've not heard? What have they heard about? Well, that's the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is what the preacher preaches, and that's the word of God. And the word of God is who? Who's the word of God? Jesus. Jesus is the living word, amen? Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Well, John 1, 1 says it. It says, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So when we believe in Jesus, we believe in the word. We've got to begin to put that into practice so that Jesus invades every area of our lives. It's his word that saves us. Yes, it saves us from eternal punishment. Yes, it does all of that because he's the word and he makes it possible for us to have faith, to believe in him and to be saved from the very beginning, okay? That's what he saves us. But he doesn't just, doesn't just save us for eternity. He also saves us from ourselves. Have you ever known somebody that needed to just be saved from themselves? If they could get their own stupid self out of the way, they'd be all right. Anybody know anybody like that? Don't point any fingers at your spouse. If they could just be saved from themselves, it'd make a world of difference. Sometimes that's what we need. Sometimes we need to be saved from going the wrong direction. Anybody ever had one of those moments? Where God saved you from making a complete fool of yourself by going the wrong direction? I've had that. We need that. Sometimes he, he saves us from wrecking our lives because the decision we were about to make was going to leave a lasting impact. Amen? God's word saves us. And I'm glad that it saves us. And that's one beautiful part, the most important part of what Jesus is able to do as the living word is he's able to save. It doesn't get any better than that. But not only will his word save us, his word will correct us. It's powerful enough to correct us. Now, this is where it kind of gets a little bit, okay, you're going to start taking aim. I didn't say it, God's word did, okay? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, 15 and 16, it says, You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Some of you are worried about your kids. How many of you have children that are not, they grew up in church, but they're not in church. They're prodigals. His word 
will give them the wisdom to receive salvation. That seed that's been planted deep, it has the power to save. Keep believing the word. Keep clinging to the scripture. Keep putting it into practice. And you'll, I believe you will begin to see that come to pass. Verse 16 says that all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our own lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now this is where it, rubber really hits the road and meets the road for us. The Bible corrects us. It's going to teach us to go the right direction, but we've got to allow it to be applied to our lives. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week when we talked about the lies, uh, the, the one single lie that's been permeating our culture, our society, the world around since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. And, and the devil's number one trick, let's be honest, his number one trick is to get us to not believe God's word, but to believe the lie. If he can get us to believe the lie, that initial lie that's been around since the very beginning, the foundations of humanity, since the devil tricked Adam and Eve, if he can get us, me and you, to buy into that lie, then he can get us to fall for anything. When we believe that lie of, did God really say that I'll make a better Lord of my own life, if he can get us to believe that, well then at that juncture, we don't trust God to know what's best for our lives. We don't trust him and his word uh, that he has our best, best interest in mind. Instead, what we do is become suspect of him. Uh, we've all been there. We've all had these moments, maybe not with God, but maybe with others, where we become suspect of someone's motives. Anybody ever been there? Where you're like, eh, I'm not really sure they know what they're doing. I'm not sure they've got their, uh, my best interest at heart. And we begin to wonder about whether or not they really are going to do what they've said. Here's where we've got to get back to believing what God's word is true. Because, uh, because God's word will help us to correct our stinking thinking. Amen? God's word will help us to grow beyond that. Because if our thinking is right, nothing can stop us. But if our thinking is wrong, nothing can help us. Amen? We've got to get the process right, God, allowing God's word to speak through us, speak into us to correct and change us. Uh, can we just be honest? The, the greatest hindrance to Christianity is not the devil. The greatest hindrance to Christianity is not any government. The greatest hindrance, and especially here, is not the hordes of hell that are trying to stop us. The greatest hindrance to Christianity is complacent, compromising Christians who have reduced the word of God down to a miniaturized list of five steps to a better life instead of elevating our living to line up with God's word. We've got we've to get this right. We've got to get it right. If we're going to engage God's word, we've got to see it for what it is. See, Jesus always, 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 always meets us where we are. Amen? He always meets us where we are, but he never leaves you where you are. Think of the Good Samaritan. Rescued the man on the side of the road after everyone else had passed him by. Everyone else had walked on by and said, not today. You know, the, the priest would have thrown a prayer down. Uh, somebody else would have thrown something. A lawyer would have thrown down a, a business card of what can I do to help. But the Good Samaritan, he crawled down and he helped him out. That's what God's word does in our lives is it crawls down to where we are, but it doesn't leave us in the ditch on the side of the road. As salvation, we believe in him, but he pulls us out of that miry clay. He sets us on a solid rock to stay, and he says, you can believe what I've said. I'm going to take you, and I'm going to shape you, and I'm going to turn you into what I want you to be. But we've got to allow his word to bring healing to our heart. We've got to allow his word to begin to work in us. We have to allow him 
to correct the errors that have come from the injuries of sin in our lives. Now, the Lord knows we need some good correction from time to time. Amen? Anybody ever just love a spanking? I, I can't remember a single time that my mom or my dad said, that's it, you're getting a whoop and get in there. And I went, oh, thank you. My kids haven't done it. I've never heard of anybody doing it. Most of the time, we do the, you know, we do the old potty dance. No, no, we're trying to get away from it, right? No, anything but that. No, I don't want it. We need some correction. In fact, as a, as a nation of Christians, we need some correction. In a research project that Lifeway Research did on Americans and our belief in the Bible, this, this survey project that was done and released in September of 2016, we learned that Americans are a bit fuzzy on the details in Scripture. I want to give you a few highlights. 64% of Americans believe that God accepts worship to any God. Christian, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, all gods. 64% of Americans. Now, lest you think, oh, that's just all of the unbelievers, that same statistic, uh, uh, that same category is true of 48% of evangelicals. People involved in church every single Sunday, nearly half believe that same lie. 62% don't believe that sin deserves some kind of punishment eternally. They believe that we're mostly good at heart and we're good-natured people. Therefore, God shouldn't punish us for anything that we've done wrong, regardless of what Scripture says. Never mind that it says in Romans that we've fallen short of the glory of God. Never mind that it says that the heart is wicked and deceptive above all else. Who can know it? Never mind that Scripture teaches that if you don't know Jesus, when we stand before him on Judgment Day, he will say, depart from me, thou wicked servant. Wickedness comes from people who do sin, right? That, that's the nature of it. And so if we've allowed sin, we, we, we deserve that kind of punishment. But we could get really into that, and I don't want to delve too deep into all of these implications, but I do want to talk about some real issue makers that we have as a, as a nation and as a church body because I want us to get it that God needs to correct us. When we talk about God's Word, statistically speaking out of this survey, only 58% believe that God is the author of the Bible. That God alone is the author. 58%. Not even 6 in 10. That's a scary statistic. 52% say that the Bible alone is the written word of God. In other words, you can get God's word from anywhere else. Lots of other spiritual places have given it to us. 64% believe, uh, believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Only 64% believe that he actually rose from the grave. Friends, Paul and Peter and all of the disciples went to their martyred death because of the resurrection of Jesus. 
If he hadn't risen from the dead, there's no reason to have given their lives because he was just another man. But because the Bible says and because historically we believe and know that it's true, we believe because he came out of the grave, he wasn't just another man, but he is the son of the most high God. Amen? Now, if that's not something we can all applaud, we're missing the boat. He is the risen son of God. And yet 64% alone believe that. 47% believe that the Bible is 100% accurate in all of its teachings. <laughs> Friends, we're in a tough spot. 44% don't believe that the Bible is literally true. And lastly, 51% believe the Bible was written for each person to interpret as they choose. It's kind of like this. Hmm, you know what? I don't like this part of the Bible. Where's the trash can? Either it's God's word or it's not. And friends, it's all God's word. Now, lest some of you think I've committed heresy, that was the front page of the concordance. <laughs> Either it's all true or it's not. Friends, we need, desperately need, to get back to what God's word says. I need it. You need it. We as a nation need it. Now, before we start running out and saying, well, we've got to get back and bless God, the Bible says, and friends, the Bible says we're to love our neighbor. The Bible says that we're to have relationships. The Bible says that they broke bread together around tables in homes. In other words, there was these great personal relationships that were built, and people were one to the Lord. The idea that we've got to bring everyone to church, that whole y'all come mentality, is not biblically accurate. What's biblically accurate is y'all go. What's biblically accurate is that we are making a difference in the world outside these four walls, not just inviting people to come here, but we are doing the job and the work of the ministry, winning people to Jesus. That's what we've got to get back to is our life demonstrating something that's unique. God's word corrects us makes a difference in us. It shows us that we're on the wrong track and it begins to then turn us so that our life lines up with what this says. Not we make this say what we want our life to be able to accomplish. We have to allow God's word to correct us. But it doesn't just stop there. The word of God doesn't just save us. It doesn't just correct us. But when we apply it and really get it correctly and everything, it will defend us. God's word defends us. We talked about the lie last week, and I mentioned it again today, that in Adam and Eve's case, they said, you know what? Eve, when, when, when she believed the lie of, did God really say? She was saying, I believe I can determine what's good. I believe I can determine what's best for my life. God's word's able to defend us from that if we'll apply it in the same way that Jesus did in Matthew chapter number four. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. 
I wonder why Matthew didn't finish that sentence with, well, duh. During that time, if I fasted 40 minutes, I'm going to be hungry. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) 40 days later, with nothing to eat and nothing to drink, the devil comes and says to him, if you're really the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, it would be great if the truth was when you're hungry, you can tell that stone to turn into a loaf of bread. Wouldn't that be fantastic? For me, it wouldn't be a loaf of bread. It'd be a a pack of tortillas from Ted's Cafe Escondido, but that's a different story. If we had that power, that'd be awesome. But what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's bringing the truth that was meant to be understood and lived by, trusted from the very beginning in the garden. What's the truth that he's showing here? It's not, it's not just that the second Adam uh, was going to do what the first Adam failed to do and withstand the temptation of the devil. That, that wasn't it. Although he did, though Jesus did, and is a better, uh, better representation of what God wanted and doesn't take the bait and fall, it's not that he's the son of God, and the truth is that he's showing here is not just that he's the son of God and doesn't have to play by the same rules. Though he is the son of God and didn't have to, he chose to play by the same rules we live by. The truth that he's putting in front of us to live by is that God's word is true. That it's sufficient for whatever you're facing today. And that God knows best. That God knows best. He's he's saying this is what you can do. When we understand and we abide in that truth that God knows best, we have the ability to grow and we have the ability to put on the greatest weapon in the world, uh, put it into use and use it correctly. See, it's one thing if uh, if somebody breaks into your house and you had a 44 Magnum uh, handgun that you could defend yourself with, but if you don't know how to turn off the safety, it doesn't do you any good, does it? It doesn't do you any good to have the world's greatest alarm system on your house if you don't know how to arm it. It will be of no use to us, amen? God's word is able to defend us when we put it into practice. Stop believing the lie that you know better than God. I know this is not the most popular preaching we're going to hear today. It's the truth. His word is able to save. It's able to correct. It's able to defend, but we have to put it into practice. You see, in in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul talks about this, but he talks about how we don't fight as the world does and our weapons are not natural, but they're spiritual, right? Uh, He gives us some amazing insight and stuff here, but I want to focus on two verses, verses four and five. He said, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps us, that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Did you catch it? We demolish arguments, every high-minded thing. We take them, uh, everything that tries to set itself up like it's on the same level as God. Every proud obstacle, every uh, that keeps people from knowing God, we capture them and teach them to obey. We take those thoughts and we say, "Uh, not today, Satan. We're going to make them submit. 
When I get the idea that I can do it better than God, I am missing the boat. When I get the idea, it doesn't matter what the Bible says, I'm not going to do it that way, I'm missing the boat. You know what happens when we start thinking that way? We take the most powerful weapon we have and we put it on a shelf because it's no good to us unless we do it God's way. Friends, I want God's word to defend us. I want God's word to be applicable to our life, but we have to allow it to work in our lives to correct us so that it can defend us. Let me put this another way. When we allow God's word to work, it destroys the root lie that I can be like God and I would make a better Lord of my life so I don't need to apply his word to my life. I've got it figured out and I know what's best, but Paul says that's not true. Only by God's word can we bring the whole thing down. Only with God's word can we allow it to defend us, to correct us, and to save us. Only God's word has the power to do all of that. An alarm system is great for alerting people. A handgun is great for defending people. There's a difference in intent. Friends, we've got to allow God's word to work deeply into our lives. We've got to allow it to be there. Because here's the truth. When we come to situations in our life that are tempting us and trying us and getting at us and trying to bring us down, what works better? Heartfelt prayers that we're not sure we believe or God's word. I had a discussion with a friend of mine this week. It's a young lady that I've known for 20 plus years. We were in Bible college together. Not a Christian. Does not know the Lord. Lives a lifestyle we would all say is far from God. And as she and I were having this discussion over the phone... She said, I just need to talk to somebody because I don't know why God keeps doing this to me in my life. We talk. So here's, you, I caught myself about five times going, what, uh, well, uh, if, no. Because everything I wanted to say to her started with, if you would actually live like what you're praying for God to do, there might be something different that happened. But when you try to do it your way, and you just keep trying to do it your way, and then expect God to bail you out, he's not the genie in the bottle who's all of a sudden going to come to the rescue. You know, you, you can't dig yourself into a million dollars in debt and then throw 20 bucks at God and expect his blessings to just rain down on you because you gave him 20 bucks. Either we believe what God's word says or we don't. Either we're going to put it into practice or we're not. Uh, listen, the Bible says if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. How many of us want to live close to God? We would all say, yeah, that's me, preacher, that's me, that's me. I want to be close to God. When was the last time we prayed beyond, Lord, bless this food to our body, amen? When was the last time we spent time in God's word, getting to know it, growing in it, memorizing it? Now listen, I'm not trying to kick you in the teeth or kick you down the whole time. I want us to get this, that this word is powerful, but if we don't use it, it's no good. We've got to begin to live and engage the scripture so that our lives are different. Because if not, we're no different than everybody else. In the book of Exodus, we've been in this reading, uh, reading through the Bible in a year and on Wednesday nights, and in the book of Exodus, something amazing happens. 
God's about to move the people on. He's sending them on towards the promised land. He's given them the instructions for the temple, uh, for the altar area, for the, the whole tabernacle. And God and Moses are having this discussion. He says, you're going to go. And Moses says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm reading out of the, the nearly inspired version, the message. And it says that, God, that Moses said to God, easy now. If you're not going with us, don't send me out with these hard-hearted people. Friends, if we're not going to do it God's way, we can't expect God to go with us. But when we do it God's way, and our life lines up with Scripture, and we're putting it into practice, and we're doing it the way God said do it this way, you know what begins to happen? Oh, he, friends, he throws open the floodgates of heaven, and he says, I've got this for you. Everything that you need, I'll supply. Everything that, that, that every weapon that comes against you is going to fail. No matter what you're facing, I'm going to be with you in the midst of it. When you're going God's way and you're doing it God's way, there is nothing that can stop you. When our thinking is right, nothing can stop us. When our thinking is wrong, nothing can help us. And when our thinking is consumed by God's word, you know what happens? God begins to work. God begins to move in and through us. Friends, as we engage Scripture, we've got to make a difference. We've got to do it the way God said to do it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, you know what? I want to do it God's way, but my life just doesn't match up. I've allowed sin to separate me from the Lord. I've allowed sin to creep in and to begin to make a difference in keeping me from what God wants to do. I've allowed sin to begin to operate and it's, it's separated me from God. And today, I want to come back to know the Lord. I want to get back right with Him. If that's you, you've allowed sin. You, you've allowed something to separate you from God. And today, you want to come home. Would you slip up a hand? Okay, who else? Who else? Come on, I'm looking from your left, from your right to left. Come on, who else? You, you're separated from the Lord. You've allowed sin, okay? Who else? Friends, today doesn't have to be that day that we live like that forever. Today can be the day that we come home. Here's where the rubber meets the road for the rest of us. And are, are we living our lives in a way that says, I don't need God? I'm not saying this from the standpoint that you're backslidden to hell. I'm saying this from the standpoint that you're just doing it your way and not even consulting God. You, you want God's blessing, but you don't want to submit to what God's Word says. And if that's you and you'd be honest enough to say, I've got an issue in my life. I've got an area in my life. I'm trying to do it my way. I've bought the lie that I might make a better Lord of my life than, than God would. If that's you, I'm not saying you don't know Jesus. I'm saying you're you're believing in a lie and you, today you want God's word to correct you. If that's you, would you slip up a hand? Okay. Come on, who else? All right. Again, from your right to left. Come on. That's you. You're believing a lie in some area of your life. All right. Friends, this is where we begin to put action to it. In just a second, we're going to ask you to stand all across the room. Our elders and prayer team are going to come. They're going to be here around these altars and they're going to be here to pray and agree with you. 
whether it's you raised your hand or you should have or you've got something else that you need someone to agree with you about. The Bible says that if you need healing, to call for the elders of the church and they'll lay hands on you and pray for you and God would work and bring healing. Here's the deal, folks. This is where we put it into practice. Do we believe it or not? Do you believe it? Friends, do you believe it? If you do, then there's no, nothing that should, should separate us from wanting God's word to be put in practice. So as we stand, elders, prayer team, would you make your way to the front around these altars? All over the room, would you stand, please? If you raised your hand and said, I need prayer, if you need prayer for anything, you got doctor's appointment, you need prayer for anything, we want to pray with you. We want to agree with you this morning. So if you raised your hand and said, I need to come home or I'm believing a lie, we want you to make your way out of your seat. We want you to make your way down around these altars. Our prayer team, elders, pastoral staff are going to be coming. We're going to pray. We're going to agree with you. As they worship, as they continue to lead us, we want to invite you. Begin to make your way now. Come on.